So you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 73. If you were at a recent Tuesday night gathering a few weeks ago, I can't remember when it was, um, I turned to the same passage. So forgive me for those of you in the room who are hearing it twice. But I do think it's important enough, and I think it needs released here. Uh, By the way, I had another message for you this morning, and I woke up this morning, and uh, I was still laying in bed, and the Lord, I just felt like the Lord told me to go here again, uh, even though it's on repeat. So I don't have notes uh, this morning, because this was not the message that I prepared for you. Um, But it's the one you're going to get. So, um, Psalm 73. Um, I turned to this passage recently in one of my own private times of prayer because there's a prayer book that I use. Um, it's, it's pretty widely used in our network. It's pretty widely used at the Gospel Tab. If you haven't, uh, if you don't know about it, you can find it at a website for free called commonprayer.net. And the title of the prayer resource, there's a lot of great prayer resources out there, but the title of the prayer resource is Common Prayer, a Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. And it is a liturgy, and so you read through and pray through the Psalms in the Old and New Testament in a systematic kind of way. And I just want to draw attention to that in part because that's a big part of our leadership culture here. Years ago, uh, we decided that on Sunday mornings, we would kind of lean into the tradition that we come from historically in the Christian Missionary Alliance Uh, which was birthed out of revivals that were happening in the late 1800s. And so there's an emphasis in our gatherings on spontaneity, on following the direction of the Spirit. And we just kind of decide to really own that on Sunday mornings. And we have. You know, we own it. For us, that's actually connection to our history. Um, It may not, you know, feel that way for you if you came from another church tradition. But for us, part of staying rooted in the story that we find ourselves in is to kind of make this room for the spontaneous activity of God, the spontaneous leadership of his people in gatherings like this. But there's other traditions that have spoken to us as well, some that are liturgical, that use written prayers and, and move through the Bible in a systemic way, systematic way. And you should know that there really aren't, there isn't one of your leaders here that only does the spontaneous thing. Um, Almost all of us use prayer books or written prayers or something because we've just learned, as a matter of fact, every Monday, the the Gospel Tab staff, your pastoral staff, when we meet together on Mondays, uh, we use a liturgy of written prayers that are set out for us in that prayer book. And the reason we do is because we wholeheartedly embrace this tradition on Sundays, but it means that your pastoral staff is always having to come up with spontaneous words on Sundays, you know? Um, you know, we spontaneously pray and we spontaneously lead. And we love that. But on Monday, we're like tired of that. Your pastoral staff, right? We don't want to come up with our own words. So it's good for us to read prayers, right? And to read the scriptures together. And so we just embrace that. And I don't, so I don't know if that's helpful for you um, in your walk with the Lord. Uh, people kind of tend personally one way or the other um, but whatever way you tend to go in your walk with Jesus, kind of towards the more spontaneous or more planned out, you pr- it's probably healthy for you to stretch in the other direction. Um, but we can learn from all of these things. So anyway, I turned in the prayer book to Psalm 73. It was the kind of appointed psalm for the day. And man, God just kind of drove this particular psalm. There's a psalm every day in the prayer book. Um, but he drove this one deep into my heart. And if you already heard me talk on this on a Tuesday night, I'm going to draw a different application for us today 
Not, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church, because I think there's a word in this for the gospel tabernacle. So here we go. Verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, I see this as kind of a thesis statement for the whole psalm. And not every psalm starts this way. If you're familiar with the psalms or if you use it for your own prayer life, then you know that there's plenty of psalms that begin with complaint, that begin with lament, that begin with like, life is awful, and God, you have forgotten about me. And that's one reason I like the Psalms, by the way. If you want to learn how to pray in whatever emotional state you're in, whatever you're feeling, whatever your circumstances, that's the, the church and Jews, uh, the Jewish people before the birth of the Christian church, um, this was their prayer book, their worship book. And so turn to it, use it. Let these words teach you how to pray. Um, how to connect with God no matter where you're at. But this one starts out positive. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's a thesis statement about the goodness of God, not just to us as individuals, but to us as a people, Israel. So God is good to his people. He relates to his people individually, but collectively in goodness, right? This is what God is like. This is his disposition toward his people. But if, if this psalm starts out with a thesis statement about the goodness of God, then the verses that we read next are surprising because it takes us into this raw, real, emotional territory. I appreciate that because I think that's probably how we approach God many times. It's like, God, I know you're good. Also, this is how I feel today, All right? God, I know you're good. Also, this is where my emotions are. I know you're good. This is where I'm struggling. So look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So he's admitting, the psalmist here is admitting, like, for a minute, I I almost let myself get off track. How many of you have ever felt that way, following the Lord, right? I I almost started to believe things that weren't true. I almost started to go in a direction I shouldn't have. I almost lost my footing. Why? Verse 3. For I envied the arrogant. Why? When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked because I looked at people who weren't following God like I'm following God. And it looked like their lives were better. This is so real, isn't it? I looked at people who had no regard for God or just living however they want, saying whatever they want. And somehow their lives look better than mine. Somehow they look more prosperous than me. And so there's a a raw moment here. The psalmist is saying, I actually envied that. Right? I looked at them and I doubted. For a minute, I almost lost my foothold. For a minute, I doubted my decision to do what God wanted. I doubted my decision. Right? To follow the lordship of Jesus. In all of life. Come on. I know we want to act spiritual in church, but how many of you have ever felt this way? Right? It's like, man, I'm over, I'm over here doing the right thing. Right? They're over there doing the wrong thing. And why does it look better for them? Right? Look how real this gets. Verse 4. They have no struggles. Now, this is like all like hyperbole and exaggeration, but, but in, this is what envy does. Right? This is what comparison does. We stop evaluating the person that we envy in truth, right? 
And we tend to look at our situation like it's hopeless and like there's nothing good going on here, right? And we look at their situation like it's all amazing, right? So, so this is how he feels, this, this raw feeling. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. He's talking here really about empire. He's talking about people in the world who live in in a wrong way that's like boastful. Like they're not even trying to hide it, right? Unfortunately, like many of the leaders who lead us in the day in which we live, right? That boast with their mouths the prideful ambitions of their hearts, right? Why does it seem like those are the people who always get the power? Why does it seem like those are always the people who get elected? Why does it seem like those are always the people who have the wealth? Why does it seem like those are always the people who have the TikTok accounts that everybody wants to watch, right? Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits, They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Look at at the arrogance of verse 9. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. This is the voice of empire finding its demonically supercharged place in the human race as early as the book of Genesis when those people started to build a tower, right? In the Tower of Babel, we can build a tower that reaches the heavens. Our mouths lay claim to the heavens, right? Their tongues are taking possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, look at the arrogance. How would God know? Does the Most High know anything? People talking like this and still experiencing prosperity. Verse 12, this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, so it seems. I'm over here like worrying about people following Jesus, right? I'm over here like praying for things and and trying to follow him on mission and see God's kingdom manifest on the earth. And these people seem free of care. Always, they go on amassing wealth. Now, let's just pause there for a second. This is exaggeration. It's hyperbole, but it's so real because this is how we start to feel in envy. There's something that envy does that disconnects us from reality, right? Um, It begins to look at other people in this way. Now, clearly, let me be very clear. The context of Psalm 73, the description even says in verse 12, this is what the wicked are like, is, is like these, what seem like just terrible, horrible people, right? Who who walk in wickedness, who write, who have no regard for God. But I would say that what, what the psalmist feels here for the wicked, we feel for all kinds of people. Make it real. We feel this stuff about our own brothers and sisters sometimes. It's like, wait a second. I really sacrificed for Jesus, right? And, and they didn't. And why does it seem like things are going better for them than for me? Like, I, I made a more radical choice. Why does it feel like it's going better for them than for me? Like, why is my reputation getting hurt? And, and theirs isn't. Why, why is my path harder? When I said yes to Jesus, you know, to follow him into mission, into the world, to say yes to him for myself and my family, like, why, 
Why do things seem so hard? And friends, I would say, I'll, I'll explain this more as the psalm goes on, but if you've never reached that point yet, where your yes to Jesus is is challenged by the circumstances that surround you. It's like you said yes to Jesus and things aren't going so well. If that hasn't happened to you yet, although I can't imagine there's anyone in this room that that hasn't happened to yet, you know? But if that hasn't happened to you yet, I honestly, I'll say it this way, I look forward to what God will do in you when you reach that point. Because as we're going to see in Psalm 73, this is a critical point of our walk with Jesus. I was, I was telling the Tuesday night group this. Everybody we baptize in water here at the Gospel Tab or in the network, if I can get their ear before they're baptized in water, I'm like, yo, you know that this excited feeling you have, like where everything's going great, you know that's not going to last forever, right? Like I'm trying to prepare them, like right for the downer of Monday after baptism, right? And guys, nobody ever believes me. No one ever believes me. They're like, no, I remember one guy told me, he was like, I can't imagine that I would ever stop feeling like this. Because he's just like on cloud nine with Jesus. In his case, it did last a couple weeks. I will say like it lasts a couple weeks. But I'm like, that's not going to last forever, Right? Because disappointments come. And this question begins to come into our mind. Why did I choose this? Right? Why did I say yes to Jesus? Why did I say yes to his voice? Because it seems like people who have no regard for God. Like their lives are going fine. Right? So why did I say yes to him in this way? Now, this is how real it gets. Not just with the wicked, but with our brothers and sisters. But we begin to wonder the same things... When we follow Jesus in the particular way that he's called us, and it seems like people who aren't doing those particular things are doing better than us. And this is relevant to you, Gospel Tab family. Uh, let me just say it bluntly, because you're weird. You know, like, you're, you're a weird group of people. Like, the things that you have chosen to do to follow Jesus, I've been really reflective on this as I'm you know, heading towards this transition. The things that you have said yes to Jesus in, um, it might seem so strange as a church, Gospel Tab family, because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Let me tell it to you. Some of the things that you have said yes to Jesus in have stunted the growth of this church. We probably could be a bigger church. There's enough talent. There's enough whatever. We probably could be a bigger church, but in some ways we've grown slower because you said yes to Jesus on particular things. And listen, we're not going to talk about another church like they're the wicked, right? Because they're in the family and we need to remember, we need to remember that like, like we have things wrong with us too, right? Like we've been part of, of we have said prideful, arrogant things, right? With our mouths too, right? Um, and yet, it's easy to look at other ministries, isn't it? It's, it's easy to look at what looks like success and say, man, like, if we didn't choose so many hard things, if we didn't choose to pursue racial and cultural diversity, if we didn't choose to pursue multiplication, if we didn't choose to, to see the gospel manifest in low-income, difficult communities. Friends, all of those things are things that the church growth experts would tell you will stunt the growth of a church. Pursuing those things, right? 
But you pursued those things because it's what Jesus called you to, right? You know, I, we don't, we don't, like we're part of this larger family of churches, the Christian Missionary Alliance. I feel like we don't draw attention to that a ton. But I look at our particular history, and this church was planted over 100 years ago. It was a season in the Christian Missionary Alliance, late 1800s, early 1900s, when women were preaching and planting churches, when there were racially diverse congregations in the Alliance in the late 1800s, early 1900s. One of our early district superintendents, a few of our early district superintendents were African Americans leading white churches, right? Believing that God still healed physical bodies. Now, everyone who was involved in that, that back then, I know they weren't trying to be weird for weirdness sake, right? They had developed convictions from the word of God. But it was also that the Spirit of God was speaking a particular call to this group of people, right? And there was something that was rising up in them that was like, we don't care how weird this looks, right? We don't care how misunderstood we are. We don't care, you know, like, and they were misunderstood, so misunderstood. But it was like, we don't care. This is what Jesus said to us, right? And we're going to follow him. And Gospel Tab family, like in the future, you know, I'm not going to be the lead pastor anymore, but whatever you do, family, please don't lose your weird so that you look like the ministry down the street. It's not worth it. You hear me? Don't lose your weird so that you fit in, so that you're more respectable to neighbors. Don't lose your weird so that you can look more successful. If I had a title for this sermon... Don't lose your weird. <laughs> Don't lose it. Be faithful to the word of God. But understand that the word of God and the voice of Jesus are going to lead you to some strange places. To some places where you're going to be misunderstood. And friends, I don't know what's been happening in me, especially in the last couple of years. But God has, has, I don't know, it's taken me a long time because I'm a, I'm a performance-oriented person. Like, I want to follow Jesus in, in radical ways. I also want to look successful, right? I also want to look like I know what I'm doing. I also don't want to look foolish, right? Am I the only one? Am I the only one confessing this? Like, I... That's how I can be, right? And there's something that God is doing in my soul. And I'm about to preach in front of all these other churches in the fall. There's something, I do love them. It's not that I don't love them, but there's something that's rising up in me that's like, don't care what they think, right? Gospel tab, I'm just telling you, it's okay to be you. Because in the most recent thing, beginning to worship in two locations. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll prophesy something. And that's, man, you guys are amazing because that's the most recent of many hard choices that this Gospel Tab family should. Do you know, people have studied this, that one choice to worship in two locations instead of one and to grow this service bigger and add multiple services, all that stuff, which is the conventional knowledge, not in the Bible. That's just what church success looks like, right? But do you know, like, the decision to, just that one decision to worship in two locations, People who study this, you are in, a, in less than 5% of churches who would ever in the United States make a decision for multiplication. Why, why? Why is the number so low? It's because we have trouble making, making decisions that don't make us feel and look successful. It is counterintuitive to choose something that at first looks like failure, Right? My friends, this is what it's like to follow Jesus, right? To hear his voice, right? 
And, and I'll prophesy, God's going to bless, guys. Like, I don't know if you see what's happening like I see what's happening, but I know it's been hard. But there's new people at Franklin Avenue and here every single Sunday. And Crestmont Campus, let me tell you, because to Franklin Avenue it feels new. To Crestmont, I think it feels more like loss. But let me just point out something to you that's happening. Like, we, we went to half the number of chairs. And please, one thing about the Gospel Tab, we are not sitting around talking about butts and seats as the metric <laughs> of, like, you know, if Jesus' blessing is on us, right? It's just not who we are as a church. Um, Nonetheless, there was like half the number of seats in here just a few Sundays ago, and, and the, the TAB staff is kind of marveling because this site, we've had to fill back up with chairs because you guys increasingly are full every Sunday, even after the multiplication. Um, the Crestmont campus has actually had way more new people, way more new visitors than Franklin Avenue. And the only reason I'm pointing that out, I don't know what it all means, but I just, I'm pointing it out to tell you It means something about the grace, the particular grace that is on this church to multiply ministry in the future. It's it's like Jesus with the fish and loaves. It's like the widow with Elijah or Elisha in the Old Testament, right? Um, I really believe, I really believe that the more you give yourselves away, you're going to see God continue to fill in the lack with his increase. It's like, I want to tell you, like, test a minute. See, see how radically you can give yourself away and see what God does. But all that being said, whether, whether you've made that decision on your, for yourself or the Gospel Tab family as a whole, you know what this feels like. Like, why, God, if you said this, why do the people who don't make these hard decisions, why does it look like they're more successful? Why does it look like their churches are bigger? Why does it look like they have more money? Why does ministry look easier for them? All of those kinds of things. And then here's, here's the next part of the complaint, verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments, right? Um, so this is kind of saying like, man, not only do the people who don't follow God in such a radical way as me look like they're doing better, but then when I do follow God, it just feels like it don't work, right? It's like, and listen, in America, we love stuff that works. In church, we want stuff that works, right? It's like, how could God's voice be in something that doesn't work? You know, I, I don't know if you know this Gospel Tap family, but uh, churches that are driven by programs, primarily uh, programs that are meant to attract largely other Christians to their churches, um, a lot of those programs are built on calculated success. Like, you would never want to volunteer to have to do ministry in a way that didn't feel like success, right? Because we need volunteers to keep showing up and enjoying it and liking it, right? So that we can build the program bigger, so that we can attract more people, right? A lot of you have signed up for stuff, like in the community, that you might not see success for years. I was just telling people, you know, when we started in Aliquippa, it was four or five years before we led the first person to Christ, I think in most of our churches, oh, we'd cancel a program quicker than four or five years, right? Like if it wasn't working. I had people calling me up in those years saying, Joel, Al Impact is wonderful. It's nice that you're helping kids, but no one's coming to faith. They weren't wrong. It was four or five years before we started to see momentum, right, of people coming to faith in Christ, right? 
is it, it's not, not imaginable to us that God could call us into a place where it feels like it doesn't work, right? But here it is in the Psalms. Like, it, sometimes it feels like it doesn't work. I don't know if you know this. I haven't shared this widely, but there was a time where I was just real discouraged because it happens in ministry. And you just get real discouraged following Jesus, real discouraged saying yes to Jesus sometimes. And so um, I called up a, a, a bigger church than us to have more resources, right? And I thought, I thought, I think they like me, right? I thought, but I really, you know, I knew I couldn't leave here, you know what I mean? But I just thought, I'll just call the lead pastor. This is how we flirt with the grass that looks greener, right, on the other side. So I just thought, I'll just call him up. And so I called him up, and we get into a little conversation. I'm like, so what's going on at the church, you know? Like, are there... Oh, there's anything open, you know, like I'm just trying to ask these questions. I don't even think I was, I was that out in the open with it, but the lead pastor um, heard what was in my voice. And he said to me on the phone, he said, Joel, let me just interject right here. He said, the grass is not greener over here. And he said, have you heard the voice of Jesus where he's planted you? Do you think you've heard from God? And I said, yes, but man, it's taken so long. You know, it's taken so long to see the things, you know, that we're praying for. And he said to me, he said, you know, Joel, most people never see the answers to their prayer because they just don't stick around long enough. They just don't believe God long enough. And they go to where the grass looks greener. And it doesn't mean that God is stopping in the other place. The loss is ours because we don't get to see with our own eyes the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If we would stick around, right, to see with our own eyes the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, he will answer our prayers, right? He will come through. Look at verse 15. It's so real. If I had spoken out like that, now he's like evaluating his exaggeration. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Look, this is the key verse right here. Jake, if you could come play. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. What is the turning point for this guy and his emotions? What's the turning point for a community of people that has said yes to Jesus in hard ways where success does not always seem apparent, where there's suffering in our yes to Him, where it looks like things are going better for other people who have not sacrificed as much, who have not chosen such crazy things, who have not, you know, said that they'll, you know, uh, give up their own personal comfort, that they'll sacrifice... Like, what is the turning point? It's verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Until I got with Him. And friends, I guess this is just like what I want to hold out to you today. That whatever your yes to Jesus is like, and whatever, like, the gospel tabs yes looks like to Jesus, and I can't, I can't tell you because I won't be in that position. I do know you're weird, so keep that, all right? But like... Whatever your yes looks like to Jesus in this next season, when it looks like it's not working, this is like the best I can give you this morning. When it looks like it's not working, when you know you heard God, but you can't see the fruit, when God told you to build an ark, and now the earth is flooded and you're on it, and number one, for all those years, people are making fun of you, like while you're building the ark, 
then you kind of get vindicated because the rain comes and floods the earth. But, but you got vindicated with people who are now no longer alive, right? And now you're on a boat with your family and now you're wondering if God's going to abandon you on this boat. Even though you've seen the works of God and he got you this far, but you wonder if this is going to finally be the point that God leaves you behind. Come on, some of you, I'm preaching to somebody, you've been there, right? You've seen God at work, but it's like, I don't know if he's going to get me through this. Is this the time that the promises of God stop working? Is this the time when he finally abandons me? Is this the time when all the people who are questioning me, all the people who are making fun of me are proved right? Is this the time that that happens? Until I got into God's sanctuary. Until I got with him again. Friends, do you know how many times I've done a lot of my praying in this room? Do you know how many times I was so confused? So not sure. Times I thought for sure I was destroying this church. Not making it better. Do you know how many times I felt that? And I got into this room with God. Until I got into God's sanctuary. Right? And I do get confused out there. I get confused in the face of people's criticisms. I get confused in in the face of evidence where it looks like the decisions we've made aren't working. And I, I, I get confused like you get confused. But when I get with God again, I know who I am. You know, I know what he's created me to be. And I know that this whole thing does not rise and fall on how good I do my job. It doesn't rise and fall on my envy and comparisons with other ministries or other people. None of that matters. Friends, no one was more misunderstood than Jesus the Christ. Come on. No one was more misunderstood than him. No, like he's in his worst moment. And the disciples are abandoning him. But he entered into that. So you would never have to be abandoned in your place of questioning. And if you're in a place of questioning, he is not leaving you alone. Look, 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 I don't have much time. Verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. Now this is what we call an imprecatory kind of statement. It's a statement of judgment on the wicked. But look at this, verse 19. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by tears. I find so much comfort in this. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. It's like all of this envy and all of this, did I make the right decision? And all of this, who's successful and who isn't in your life or in the life of the tab or ministries. The description here is like, all of that is just a dream, folks. Someday we're going to wake up and this thing is going to be over. And all the things that we stressed about, even the stuff following Jesus that we stressed about and the stuff that we got into our activist mode about and stressed about and all of the ways that we tried to help people and serve the poor and, and do evangelism and all these things, we're going to wake up one day and we're going to be like, what was that even all about? Right? Like a dream, a fantasy, it's over. Last night, we couldn't invite all of you because there was limited seating, but last night was a special night because we gathered for a worship service with our friends down at the Community of Celebration where the Franklin Avenue campus meets. And 
Do you know there's only four members left in that community? We signed legal documents with them last night to transfer their properties to the Greenhouse Network. That's not going to happen immediately, but it's going to happen in time. And we're going to care for these four members and a few other friends um, till their final days. But let me tell you, if you would look at, at the four people who are left, health issues, they're frailer than when I first met them. 15 years ago. They're still praying three times a day. They're still in there praying three times a day. But I've seen their strength you know, begin to fail at this stage of life. Um, and, and here's the thing. You wouldn't know it to look at them, but they were part of one of the, one of the great revivals in American history. The Jesus people movement. Their height, thousands of people. Healings breaking out. They were traveling across Europe and North America, spreading worship songs and renewal in the Holy Spirit. And, and friends, I'm now I'm living with these people and I look at their lives and I'm just like, they just don't care about any of that anymore. And, and what a gift that God has given us a front row seat kind of to the death of a movement while our movement is beginning. Like now we're strategizing to get a gospel expression in all 90 Pittsburgh neighborhoods. Like there's people praying into this right now. And I think we're going to see headway happening. To, but what a gift that as things grow, God has given us a front row seat to people who basically at this stage of life, as they hit the 80-year mark, are like, yeah, it's really just all about Jesus. Not your movements, not your ministry, not your church friends. It is not about the gospel tab. It's success or failure. It's not about our success or failure. It's just not about any of it. We fight to hold on to so many things that really are just a dream, right? That are passing away. Okay, okay, I gotta finish. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I've been like that before God before. Like an animal that needed tamed, like, like torn up in my soul. Like I don't understand this stuff. Like we prayed and that person didn't get healed. I followed you. I said, yes, I brought my family here. Like all those things. I've been in that place before God, and you have too. Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Look at this, look at this. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? I don't have my job in heaven. Gospel tab ain't going to be in heaven. Right? Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire. Even ministry success, even whatever, has nothing I desire besides you. Oh, my flesh and my heart may fail. That does happen in this life. My emotions get out of whack, right? My heart begins to despair. One night I was talking to a friend who was despairing. He felt like God had promised him some things and he was despairing. And he said to me, he said, Joel, he said, I, you know, I started this night like despairing of the promises of God. This is why this word promises, worship was perfect this morning. 
I started despairing of the promises of God. And he said, I just got in. He said, Joel, you know what I'm talking about. I got back into that place with God. I just started to pray and talk my way back to his promises. Against all reason. Against what makes sense with my eyes. Against the envy that I feel in my heart for what's happening with other people. I just got my way back to his promises. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This morning, you're despairing. You wonder if what God said to you is true. You're looking at other people. It seems like they have it better than you. Well, you should know that wherever your heart is failing you, Wherever your flesh is failing, he will be the strength of your heart in that season. He will hold you through that season. When it looks like you can't see anything, those who are far away from you will perish. God's going to sort it all out eventually. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to stay near God. I'm going to, come on, who in the room can say, I'm going to stay right here, near to God. I'm going to make my home here. I'm going to make my place here no matter what happens, no matter who I envy. Gospel tab, for goodness sake, keep yourself near to God. No matter what decisions you make, no matter who your leader is, no matter how many people you have in your church or don't, stay near to God. Make Him your home. And you're going to be okay. Not a pastor's vision in your home. Not a particular season in your home. Not, well, this season was great. My friends were here and all these great things. None of that's your home. Stay near to God. Right? I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Mm. I'm feeling an altar call today. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, we bless your name. We bless your name, Jesus. We love you. Here we are in the sanctuary of God again with our doubts, our fears, our envy. There's some in this room, their strength is failing them. There's others in this room, their heart is failing them. They're tempted to despair. They said yes to you. It doesn't look like it's working out. We prayed for things. It doesn't look like it's happening. Meanwhile, other people seem to be doing better than us. And, and I, we couldn't understand all of that until we got into the sanctuary of God. Till Jesus, we remembered what you went through. How misunderstood you were. How slow things played out. How, how patient you've been with us. How sometimes it's been our arrogance that has gotten in the way. And you still did it. You still accomplished your plan. God, I just feel something in my heart this morning. It's like as long as we stay near you, everything's going to be all right. Because today... God, the God of heaven and earth, is not anxious. He is not worried. He is not fretting about the future. He's not doubting his own purposes. He's not wondering how this is all going to turn out. So if we stay near to you, God, then things are going to be okay. I just feel you speaking that to people. Just a word of comfort. Things are going to be okay.